Bring it on, Yugi! Alright, it's time to duel! That's a nice attack, but I'm not down yet! You're listening to the Shadow Realm Podcast, brought to you by Bamani Lounge. Welcome to the Shadow Realm Podcast, episode number four. I'm your host, Henry Furchow, and here I have my co-host, guest co-host, Eric. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? For those of you who don't know, because I guess, you know, you know the Jeff Joneses, you know the Billy Brakes, you know the Patrick Hobans. Who is Eric Christensen? Like, why do, why do we care about you? What's your accomplishments in the game? Uh, I think the biggest one people know me for is the Infernoid guy. I went 16-0 <laughs> with Infernoids. Uh, and then I went on to win Nationals and got second at Worlds. Is that all? Uh, I got top eight at a ARG before all of that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. There you go. Um, if that's not enough for you, then I don't know what to say. I mean, I don't have any of those. So that's very good. Uh, very, especially Worlds. Like, what is that like, being on that kind of stage? Uh, it's a lot different. It's the hardest locals you ever play in. <laughs> the hardest locals you ever play in. Uh, talk about Shinsuke. Was he a good player? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't agree with some of his uh, deck choices, but now you're that that Worlds was already like four years ago. But I remember watching you play from a hotel room. I was watching when I was on vacation. Uh, I remember you didn't really get to play the game. You you kind of bricked with, uh, I believe, Cards of Consonance. You drew three? Game game one, I just lost. He had Baylor on my only play, and then he just had a, a good follow-up and like killed me. Do The Blue Eyes Mirror match? Yeah. And game two, I, I opened two cards of consonants with a anti-spell. So it was rough. Didn't draw anything. And happen- yeah. Do you think if you drew something, like you could have won that game? Like, I forgot, like, was his hand really good? or? Uh, game one, if I literally had any sort of like extender beyond normal summon my guy to search the stone. I had a card of constants in game one and I tried summoning the guy to search the stone. He bailed it and he didn't, I don't think you realize that that's going to win you a game, but it, it, it did off that. So game two, I, there wasn't really anything. I just drew really, really bad game two. Nice. Nice. Well, obviously there's a lot to talk about between, you know, all of your accomplishments and this and that and the other. Cause I know that once I saw you went 16 and 0 in the middle of, you know, BA format with Infernoids. Like that's pretty crazy. So let let's backtrack though. How did you get into the game initially? How did how did little Eric start on his path to become the king of games? Uh I think like a lot of kids at least around my age when uh Yu-Gi-Oh was first coming out, uh I got the Yu-Gi-Oh Kaiba structure deck for Christmas. Uh, that was okay. what started me. Um I just played my brother for most of you know up until my like senior year of high school we just played off and on like i'd say every like one or two years we'd like get back into Yu-Gi-Oh for like two or three months then go off of it and get back in go off back in high school is when my friend was like oh you can play Yu-Gi-Oh online now on dn um and i thought that was cool and i remember playing with him he was playing light sword and i was playing like my water deck <laughs> It's just your water deck. Was it like mermails? Yeah, no, it was like catapult turtle, and it was like a water dark deck. It oh, had okay. dark worlds in it. It had like the really all the dark worlds that you've never seen play, like Zur, like the vanilla. <laughs> My guy played the ones from the anime. <laughs> yeah, like all the ones that came in whenever that that first uh, round of set of them was there. 
Okay. I remember playing that and getting destroyed, and I was like, all right. And I went to locals with him one day just to like see what it was like because I played back originally in uh, when I was like fifth grade. I went to a tournament, and uh, I distinctly remember one match. I have no idea what the guy looks like or anything, but he was playing that magical scientist FTK deck. I told him he was cheating. <laughs> Did people tell you that you were cheating when you like went sixteen and zero? <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, you're you're good friends with Michael State, correct? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, who I started playing with at high school, okay. um, they had like a. Uh, we were in the same class, like for a computer class, and we were talking about it or something, and going on like the school computer, like playing DN or something, mm-hmm. and uh, he said that him. I knew from like other friends that he played Yu-Gi-Oh, like it went to regionals and tournaments and stuff. I didn't know what that meant at the time. So I just thought, Oh, he's really good. (laughs) Um, And then he showed me uh, like new cards to put in. I I started with dark world and he showed me like new cards to put in that. Um, And it was just like a wake up like thing. I I played dark world for like eight or nine months without ever switching in the middle of uh, dragon ruler format. That's when I started baby dragons. Mm. And it, I did not win or top of locals for like seven or eight months. Oh wow, that's definitely a long time. Yeah. Uh, so, so once you so you're in high school, and would you say were you in college when around the time when you started to get good? Like, what what stage of your life when you like began to be good at Yu Gi Oh? I remember when I started. Just like you know, I went to. I didn't even really like when I went to the first local start immediately. I was just like, all right, I went one weekend and like just looked around. It was like a comic store and a, a card shop in one. Okay. Um, and then I think I play, kept playing on like Dueling Network just for fun, like here and there. I was big into Call of Duty and stuff then, so I was playing that. Um, and I remember I moved uh, into my dorm in my freshman year and I had just, that was right around the time the Blue Eye Structure deck came out. Mm-hmm. And I picked that up and was playing uh, in like Magic Sleeves with uh, my Blue Eyes deck I just picked up. And I met the people around that area uh, who played at, at my college um, and started playing with them. And they're all playing, you know, these are who I consider some of the top players in Florida even today. Right. They were playing, you know, full power dragons and spell books and all that against my little blue eyes and dark world deck. So, didn't you fare too well? Not too well. I that's the locals I started going to there. That was like my first real locals. I played a little bit up, you know, where I lived before I moved to college, but not really. I lost everything there. So you could say that you failed a lot before you found success in the game. Is that correct? Definitely. Yeah. It was. I I still remember playing. Uh, uh, Travis Smith, that's who I ended up going to Worlds with um, at a yeah. locals. He was playing Gyrgia <laughs> right in that format. I was still playing Dark Worlds. And I still was learning. I didn't know what Gyrgia did even really. So I, I remember I had Eradicator and I used it on him and called spells. That's what you normally call with Eradicator. But Gyrgia doesn't play spells. All they do is play traps. So he's like, okay. And then set four <laughs> traps and like killed me the next turn. And I played like him him and this this guy named Eddie and uh, Jesse, all these people were, they consistently won the locals every week. And Travis had won a YCS before, you know, I had even shown up. And there was other guys there who won South American YCSs. Like Andres Torres would come to locals, you know. Just, I, didn't, I didn't know who these people were. 
Wow, that's that's a that's a star-studded lineup right there. It's like some of the best ten players in the game. <laughs> yeah, it, it was really Car- the this guy Carlos Perez who had went to Worlds in 2013. Mm-hmm. Like it was all these people who I knew were really good, but I, it was my only locals, so I just kept going and losing like week after week. And uh, I I knew I was getting better though, because like I played Travis again like in two or three weeks, and you know call traps this time I win. I was able to to win against like like the meta decks at the time, even though I'm only playing Dark World like day in day out. Um, that was like the it, it evolved from that into like the Mermail Firefist format, and then just kept pushing through that. And I think I finally switched whenever Infernity became big. All my friends who went to Nats that year when Infernity won uh, were playing it, and no one really you know understood how good that deck was i feel like at that nationals it was really underrepresented i felt like um and they were all just playing that and that's when i hopped on and that's when i got technically top to regional top 32 and got my invite with uh, infernity right as shadals came out uh, mm-hmm. that was like that that super poly shadal like deck that was right. my first like top region oh okay there you go that's actually when Shadows came out, that's when I took the game seriously. But I like I was still playing at locals. I didn't go to regionals for a very long time. Like I personally remember my first locals experience. I went to this locals. It was in the middle of Flushing, New York. It was underground. You had to go through this this mall to go, and it was like underground, and it smelled like fish. It was really bad. Like in the middle of Chinatown, it was sketchy. You thought like. You could easily get killed down there. They ended up relocating, so I only went to this location once, but I remember it was, like, horrific. But it was so exciting because I was playing Yu-Gi-Oh! Like, it was, like, from the show, you know? I was, like, risking my life to play Yu-Gi-Oh! I'm like, that's how Yu-Gi did it. And um, so I ended up taking X-Sabers, which was, like, my favorite deck. And I uh, this was, like, way after X-Sabers were good, mind you. So... I ended up like losing my first two matches, and in the middle of the tournament, I switched to Dragoonies, which I like I had on me. So, and then I lost like I had like one win off of a buy. I went like X four at locals, and I remember that feeling. I was like the worst player there, and I'm like, you know what? One day I'll be the best player. And, and like being the best player at locals, like when you first start, it seems like such like a like it's crazy. Like you think it's like mission impossible but then like when you're sitting there in the top tables of like a regionals or a ycs it's like you know you're doing that and then some but so that's very cool that you had that transition i know a lot of the great players have had a lot of really bad failures like they've done very bad and then they were in that bubble so did you did you bubble a lot did you bubble a lot of like high level tournaments like ycs's i uh basically when i started um uh, where I lived, I was in my family and stuff lived in Fort Lauderdale and then my college was in Miami. So I would pretty much go between the two. Um, and they were close enough where if there was a regional, you know, everyone would be there, but far, far enough that not everyone went to the same locals. So when I was in Miami, I'd be playing against like Travis and Andres Torres, those people. And then when I'd be home, the people who lived up there were Kamal, uh, Andrew Fredella, uh like all these people so it didn't matter where i go i'm I'm still you know going through the grinder every (laughs) local i went to that's why i was so it's good practice yeah i i was just day in day out playing the same deck and i remember the only time they would besides a regional or a big tournament that they'd all merge is if they had like a a case tournament or like a prize card tournament 
Okay. And there was one that actually happened in, in uh, uh, around my area up there and all my uh, Miami people came up and they were playing like with, I remember it was top eight it was like me, Kamal, Fredella, uh, our other friend, Ricky, Eddie, like it was a stacked top eight and I was wow. playing uh, in top eight with uh, uh, a dark world still against mm-hmm. like the mystic dragon. Like you got some good mileage out of that dark world deck. <laughs> From baby rulers till like, <laughs> like nothing else. Format. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a little bit before then. Yeah, I got a lot of mileage. Okay. Um, so I uh, I played that like, and I remember I was it was game three and I misplayed, and I was so mad because if I had missed, I easily won the game. And I misplayed mm-hmm. and lost in top eight and lost out on like i think between eighth and fourth place or whatever was like 50 bucks at least i was like god damn i was so mad at myself yeah and so from that point on i measured like how well i did in the tournament based off of how did i misplay did i do something wrong and so as i progressed from there you know got to the point where i was like okay even though i didn't get first I never did anything wrong this entire tournament. There was no play that, you know, if I did this, I could have won that. Once I finally got to that point, I was like, okay, I think I'm, um, you know, can consider myself, you know, better than uh, some average players, like at right. levels and stuff. Right. So I uh, just kept playing throughout like 2014 uh, through Nats and like playing Infernity and stuff. That's the deck I like. I just play with my friends. I would mess up combos here and there and I lost. Mm-hmm. I remember that regional that I got top 32 and I there was one round I played and I messed up the combo and I, was like, oh, and I lost the match because of it. Yeah. It was a deck that punished you like if you didn't memorize it. So after that, because I'd only been playing, I think, for two or three weeks before the regional, I would sit in my room and just play the combos and, and you know, practice. And My friend Elias does that. Yeah, you just like sit in front of your bed or whatever and you, yeah, you put the cards down. Yeah. Yep, I know. That's one of the, it really is like one of the only decks you can actually do that though, which is really cool. I love like the. Yeah. Is to me been one of the greatest decks I like playing solitaire. Like so, then from there, uh, I think I, I was really big because I was keeping up with you know like the OCG stuff and what was coming to us, and I was really excited for Shadals. And I remember when that set came out, um, I was like, all right, I'm going to try and get all the Shadals. Be able to trade away all my stuff I pulled and like Dante's, and all. I didn't know that was going to be a thing. <laughs> it was like thirty dollars. <laughs> It was TCG. There was no, there was no precedent for it. Yeah, exactly. And once I got the Shadal deck, I my BA was just literally mopping up like everything. It was like everyone thought Talos and Shadals were the best decks, and then BA were, was the best deck. Well, at least and just yeah. started like uh, I actually break before Shadals. I was actually playing because I was when Pendulums came out. I was playing oh. a gad- Gadget Pendulum deck, which I thought. Yeah. Oh, Hoban likes that deck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a, a lot of fun. So uh, I played that for a little bit. I remember. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely. I mean, when Duelist Alliance came out, the meta shifted completely. Like, it was yeah. easily one of the best sets ever printed. Easily. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, I started playing like a little bit before that when Hat Format went on. I I, I think my first competitive deck was like Noble Knights, and then I I moved on to. BA, like I thought BA was so cool. Like even how the cards looked, I thought like Dante looked like a noble knight. I didn't know what any of the cards do. I just thought Dante looked really cool. I'm like, this deck is probably the best. So 
I, I bought all the Dantes I possibly could, and I played BA, and I got some good mileage out of BA until Necros came out. But, I mean, this is a format when you went 16-0, right? Uh, not yet. That one was, uh, those came out pretty much like a year before. That was like the end of okay. 2014 when all that came out. So this is, a, that, that's a, that's about like a year later. The set after Shadals was Klee, which is what I started right. playing next after that. Okay. And I played, played that. That's what I topped the ARG with. Okay. And I love that. Deck. I still think it's, it's a solid deck. Even now they have like a bunch of decent stuff like yeah. floating around. I really like that deck playing that. Um, and just I remember going to the sneak peek for that and pulling the the disc for mm-hmm. that deck, and I pulled like three of them on sneak peek. Disc disc was like sixty, right? It was like it was high. Yeah, it was high. A lot of those cards were pretty expensive. It was a very good deck, kind of like True Dracos in a way. It was just very you know kind of in your face kind of deck, and they were gonna play every game, very consistent, and it was it was a pretty good deck. Did you play? So Infernoids came out that February, I believe. They came out. I believe two weeks before. They came out after my, they were, I can't remember if it was January or February of 2015, but it was in Secrets of Eternity. Right. Um, that was when that first wave of them came out. And my friend, because it was like, everyone thought it was, you know, kind of like a garbage, like the filler archetype. Yeah, yeah. Harmadick was randomly $35, but everything else was pretty cheap. But I remember my friend picked up everything like the, within a day or two, and I tried playing it at a tournament, and I thought it was the worst deck I'd ever seen in my life. Did you play Evil Hero Infernal Gainer? No, no. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what that card does. Oh, it, it allows like a it allows a fiend to attack twice or something. All I know is that it can like do lethal with Atondel. You attack like five times or something like that, or like double damage. I don't know. It was like a re- it was like a one of reasoning target that because Decatron wasn't a thing. What were the reasoning targets? I forgot. Like one of them was. Uh, I think we were playing still the Lightsworn Engine in that. Okay, yeah, that's true. Card Trooper is another one, yeah. yeah. It was just kind of like, we played it, we're like, alright, this is garbage. We, we threw it away. <laughs> I think I pretty much played uh, uh, Cleave for like a good remainder of that, because that was after Stealth and stuff came out. I think I'd maybe just hopped around decks, you know, until like around when, when uh, no, no, I played, I no, I remember I played Cleave, because I went to the uh, the ARG, like their Nats, the 25k championship they had, and uh, that was actually after Decatron came out, and I was actually going to bring Infernoid to that. And I asked my friend Jesse, who I was like, you know, close with at the time, we what his thought was. He's like, "Nah, you should play Cleave." And I'm like, "All right, I'll play that Towers Turbo." And I played at that event, and I got uh, obliterated. And I was, uh, I lost to the, my friend who plays Fire Kings twice. He beat wow. me the day before in like a like a with Towers Turbo. I got beat by Fire Kings twice. Wow. Like the actual tournament and like a side tournament, whatever. I was so pissed. So <laughs> after I scrubbed out of the main event, I went and played a, a, a win a box or whatever it was with Infernoid because I still had it with me. Mm-hmm. And I two owed every single person that. I was like, okay, I should have played this. Alice was like two or three weeks after that, and I went to that. And my, I honestly really didn't even know about Omega until maybe like two or three days before the set came out. I think I remember you saying that in your deck profile. Like you were at a card shop, like shuffling through cards, and eventually you pulled one, and then... Well, my friend my friend had mentioned it to me, and I read it, and I was like, all right, it seems okay, yeah. Like, uh, you can put one back, you know, take a card, it's generic. That's, you know, it's good. And yeah. I was like, all right. I, I wasn't... When I was first playing the deck, uh, I was not centered around that. Mm. And I remember... I went to the card shop because the set had just come out and we wouldn't have time to buy cards once 
we, you know, would, I, I flew out the next day or that night. When was it? I think that they opened the set for me on Thursday. They had a box that they had got in. And he's like, all right, I'll open one box for you. If it's not in here, then, you know, you're on your own. I'll like, okay. Oh. <laughs> so he opened, uh, it was in, in that box, and I bought it nice. for like 20 bucks or whatever it was, added to my deck. Wow. That's plus. <laughs> that was like a $50 card, right? It was not. It was. Oh, but then it went up after your deck profile. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> there you go. It was, uh, I, I remember like getting it, and I went back to my, my dorm, and I was just like, you know, looking at my deck, and I, I just kept opening hands i'm like all right i can make it every like you know like a decent amount of hands okay this actually does seem it's really good against necros because you can you know snipe the the whatever ritual that they're trying to summon when they do something or bas you can snipe that you know it's it's good right right and then i remember going through what i used to do back then was go on dueling network and go through like like side cards or look up like random deck profiles i always knew there'd be hidden gems oh yeah i do that too i remember seeing mischief of the gnomes and some random guy side deck i'm like all right this actually is busted against like so many decks and then it clicked like on top of that this is all before i even got on the plane to go to dallas and then you can actually (laughs) the way it's worded i can use it in the draw phase and then put it back with omega to abuse the next turn and this is all against like ba right it was really good no, and and Necros. It was a, it was technically a triangle format that one. But okay. those were like the two big ones. I remember I was like, all right, this act shuts down BA instantly since they have to reveal like the special summon, and it messes with Necros because they have to resolve fusions if, or uh, rituals that they activate it. What what does mischief of the gnomes do again? From you can it's a trap um, that you can banish from your graveyard to lower the levels of all monsters in your opponent's hand by one. Ah, hand. Okay. So, so you activate a BA, you chain that, and now all their BAs in their hand are level two. I, I think I remember a BA playing like one rank two just for that situation. Because they didn't really have many extra cards. No one, no one knew what any of these cards did at the time. Okay, but eventually people did that. Yeah, yeah. Like, but no one knew about these cards, really. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, I remember doing it to people multiple times, and they're like, I have no, I have no answer. <laughs> And the whole thing with Omega is you don't need you're not going to need three or four turns to kill someone. You just maybe one or two. So recycling it with Omega, you literally kill them the next turn. And if you don't, you have it to do again, and they can't do anything again. I have no answer. <laughs> Every time I play, it's like I have three answers to that. But <laughs> when you play, it's like I have no answer. To skip ahead a little bit, yeah. uh, World I played against uh, I, me and Travis were the only ones playing anti spell. Yeah, and, uh, everyone I guess uh, criticized or like didn't thought we were dumb or something like that. I literally was playing a top <laughs> my top eight against the guy playing Magic Specter. Yeah, and game game two, I flipped the anti spell. <laughs> I have no answer. First. Yeah, and he he called over the interpreter like slash judge or whatever. What does what does this card do? <laughs> no, and I was like, oh shit, did I do something wrong? He's listening, and he's like, he would like to concede the match because he has no out in his entire deck. To what? <laughs> oh, oh my gosh that's crazy that's oh my gosh i definitely like hearing i have no out to anything i have i have no answer <laughs> that's what i'm gonna say when next time not even in Yu-Gi-Oh. like when something bad happens to me i'm just gonna say i have no answer to that <laughs> i have no response i would like to concede the game <laughs> That was it was funny because you at Worlds you weren't allowed to just concede games. You have to play it out for the sake of has street, to, yeah. there has to be like an uh, has to be an unwinnable situation that you can prove. 
And, okay. you know, they, they have a copy of your deck list. So they know, like, he's like, right. I didn't side. You can check my side. I don't have a way to destroy that. So can we mm-hmm. please move on? Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. <laughs> so. that, that's, that's Yu-Gi-Oh. I mean, it's just a battle of, a battle of, you know, deck building. And, you know, obviously there's technical play and, and there's uh, variance in what you draw. But deck building is a big part of it. Definitely. So I think that's the main, you know, core of it. If you're not, if you truly can't like make your own deck and, and learn it inside and out, you're probably not going to get too far in my opinion. I completely agree. So you found all these cards, like pretty much like a couple of days up until that YCS Dallas, right? Yeah. So like you showed up, you had your Omega card in your extra deck and you just, you, you played, you know, you play the Infernoids. Did you like, realize like during the tournament when you were like say like you were four and oh you were six and oh you were eight and oh you were in top cut like did you realize at that point like how good of a deck that you built uh honestly i realized it beforehand okay. i knew that it was like a i knew infernoid when I, I still to this day think decatron is is probably in the top three cards ever printed because of what inferno is an archetype is it, right. it is physically the answer to any card in, right. in the game it, it's it's one of the best reactive cards ever I would say. Yes. And uh, I knew even before Omega was like in the picture, I was like, all right, this is, you know, a really strong deck. I, there are games that I, I obviously can win without Omega. I didn't summon right. Omega every single game. Every single game I summoned him, I won. Yeah. But that's separate from, uh, you know, there are games where you just, you know, you don't see the, the stuff to make them. The deck itself was already beating everything in the format as is mm-hmm. before... I, I added Omega, I guess, to give it like a, an even bigger like consistency push. The only real bad matchup it had was was Klee, which had kind of fallen off because that really couldn't couldn't beat BA really when they were playing Fire Lake and stuff like that. Fire Lake had kind of fallen off by that point too, but it was right. just it was still around, but not in the it wouldn't be in the top five, I'd say, of the decks that were being played then. Uh, and because of that, I was like, all right, I'll play this and. I went far. Did did that Infernoid deck have the fusion at that point? Yes, but I didn't play that. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people didn't play that. But but you had reasoning and you had one monster gate. You had three reasoning and one monster gate. Yeah. The the okay. reason the fusion was a big play because Necroz was the biz, big thing. Right. They don't summon from the extra. It's right. worthless without that. So now, right. I mean, everyone links. Yeah. I mean, yeah, with one reasoning. Yeah. People don't even play reasoning in Infernoid. Yeah. Um. So it was obviously a, a different format, and you know you had to make meta calls, but you feel you felt very confident in the events. Like it, it, necros, it wasn't full power at that point, but it was still a necros format. Like people were still playing necros. It's pretty much full power. I mean, the only real stuff that I think it had two shirt instead of one or okay. three. Uh-huh. Um, did it have? I think did it have one unicorn at that point? No, I think it had two brio, and that was it. Okay, it had three unicorn. But everyone was playing Necros pretty much. I mean, a lot. I mean, pe- people were playing Cleez and oh, BA. Yeah, it was a triangle because there was also Shadal. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if I had to rank them in order, it'd be Necros, BA, Shadal. Like of how many people were playing it, it was. Uh, I just personally, I didn't care about Necros. I ne- me when I saw Necros come out, I was like, all right, it's a good deck, but I really don't think it's that great. I didn't understand okay. why why it got so much hype as it did. Right. BA, on the other hand, though, I knew was a good deck, and I right. knew why it was a good deck, and I hated it, because for mm-hmm. me, it ruined Shadal format. I thought it was going to be Shadal, and... Uh, uh, you know. it, it rained on your parade, on your Shadal parade. I okay. never... 
never forgave it for that. So every deck I built while it was meta relevant was mm-hmm. designed to beat BA. Gotcha. That was all my stuff. Five players, you know, <laughs> Galaxy Cyclone, the main, to pop their back row, even though, you know, Necros doesn't and all that. I was just, I hated that deck. Here I am talking to a guy who won nationals and got second at Worlds, but I'm more fascinated about this whole Infernoid deck because, like, of all the, the other tournaments were, like, to me, even me, they weren't as, as interesting or exciting. There's definitely good stories in both, but I think the YCS one really was, like, the one I hold most, like... I, I, I remember vividly, like, getting, like, the notification on my phone from YouTube, like, when your deck profile came out. Uh, it was, like, I, I forgot what channel it was on, but I remember you wore, uh, like, a very flimsy, like, pro-play game shirt. And, like, I mean, like, it was a white shirt, and it literally said in, in block letters, it said pro-play games. It wasn't, like, the fancy PPG logo. It was pro-play games, and it had, like, a little sword. <laughs> Machado actually went to my, uh, like, in, he w- he went to the same college as me, and okay. he would go to the same locals. And I remember back when it was him, you know, trading out of his backpack and stuff, and like, okay. you know, doing, doing trades or whatever. Yeah. And then he opened the store in West Palm, and that was, I think, just a couple months before Dallas, and I was like, yeah, I'll wear the shirt, you know, whatever. He gave them to, like, literally everyone with a so, pulse, so you could get this brand okay. out there. So it wasn't, like, a sponsorship at that point. It was just, like, a... Did he sponsor you, like, on the spot when you topped, when you won? No, because he still wasn't, you know, like, that established. Like- when they created, like, a, a team, I was on it originally oh, okay, okay. And yeah i i just wore because I, mean, I was friends with machado i was like yeah i'll wear your shirt i don't care <laughs> so, that's awesome yeah i didn't i wasn't like in it but i really haven't ever been for like that that's why i've never you know i don't really play you know for pro play games anymore or anything right i, right. I don't play you get them but i'm i'm not gonna like you know if i get back into them i go like, all right a jobber you know what are you doing <laughs> so, yeah. Ah, oh, man, I was going to ask you to be sponsored by my sponsor, but I guess that's not going to happen. But Money Lounge and Eric Christensen, not going to happen. There you have it, folks. The verdict is in. Um, I, I, listen, I, I have a million and one questions to ask. Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions when we when we talk about our, our Road of the King section for the day. We're going to talk about metagame and different kind of formats, but... Um, I do want to, I, I mean, I know you said that you came back, you, you, you put down the game. How long were you out of the game? Um, I stopped, I think the last major tournament I went to was 2017 Nats. Okay. Um, and that was, I, I know what I played then. I shouldn't have, I was, still wasn't even like super playing at the time. Don't tell me it was BA. No, Demise uh, True Draco. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the yeah, kind of like, worse, in a sense. Yeah, yeah I don't know. That, that's like a cheap one-night stand kind of thing. Like I, I could never like feel good about playing those decks. I had stopped basically right before that Nats, which was like July or whenever. Um, there was a, a YCS in, in Pittsburgh, which I had been playing, making... I still think this is the best deck I've ever created to this day, even including Infernoid. Um, was it the Phoenix FTK? No, it was oh, okay. a true, true King Zoo, uh, true Draco deck, and okay. nobody, nobody, I'm saying nobody on in this room was playing this deck. Okay. Uh, everyone was pretty much was playing like uh, Fusion Substitute Zoo right. deck, which was just you know standard, which I played in mine, but it was yeah uh, more convoluted. But it was pretty much you could end on VFD, uh, Dryden. And 
Fujinte Sukiyome or whatever, okay. the one that adds back from your banish to add max C every hand. Oh, wow. I, round one, I, I had been playtesting this deck for weeks. I was like, this is, you know, the best deck. I've never, yeah. there's no way I'm not going to win. Round one, I played against a, a 60 card grass deck and got 2 0 in like 15 minutes because I bricked oh, wow. both games, yeah. which I never bricked with this deck. I was so, so upset. Yeah. Uh, and he opened grass both games. I was like, okay, whatever. So then I played, I played the next six rounds. I won all those. So I was 6 1. And then day two, uh, I was playing, I lost game three, I think, by like 200 life points or something like that. Like he, he had like two tankies up or whatever that boosted his, his guy over like just to kill me. I was like, Oh, it's so awful. <laughs> whatever. There's three more rounds tomorrow. You know, if I win those, I'll be in the top bet. I, I went to bed early. I woke up early, got breakfast. Uh, you know, I was ready. I came in, I won round nine. I won round 10. I won round 11. I was like, yes, I made it. And I got 32. What, what was your record? Nine, two, nine, two. Okay. That's surprising. Wow, 92 doesn't make it there. That's crazy. That's a lot of players. Kamal got 34th or something like that, too. So we, we were oh, both wow. like heated. <laughs> and I just remember that was the first tournament I had met him to, Dale Belito. And he had just topped that tournament again. Uh, he got like 32nd or something. And I was sitting with him, Jeff Jones, and myself. We were just all talking like about, we we're all playing like the Zodiac deck. And. <coughs> We were talking about hand traps or something and why drone lock was so bad or something like that. Me and Jeff Jones thought so. He's like, I don't get it. Why is it so bad? They ended up playing in top 32. And every time Dale drone locked him, Jeff would just pass. And then he's like, uh, and can't kill him. And then Jeff OTKs in the next thing and beats him. We were just like, I thought that, that was a memorable moment. That's pretty but funny. I was just so, I was finishing up college at that time. It was just kind of yeah. out of, Yu-Gi-Oh at the same time and mm -hmm. I just kind of realized after Nats I just showed up there I hadn't really been playing or anything um, and after that I just kind of gave up on it I went to like a few locals after that and then I actually started playing Dragon Ball Super the card okay. game did you, did, you, did you enjoy that? I love Dragon Ball Z first mm -hmm. off and playing okay. that uh, it was <laughs> when it first started it was kind of like all the rejects from like other card games all came to one so it was yeah. like kind of easy pickings yeah. but it was also like a big money maker in our area because like the promos that they gave out just for entering were a hundred dollars each wow and we would literally just go to locals and like win you know eight hundred dollars at the locals it was crazy. crazy so uh we went to that um i played that i still kind of play it now i've dropped off in the past like few months so i've been playing Yu-Gi-Oh. um but i got my first ever regional top in dragon ball z uh, wow. One of those, yeah. So I was happy about that. Was that like a top eight kind of top, or was that like a top thirty-two? Top okay, eight. wow. Top eight. Yeah, I was happy, and I was playing. It was an, another sort of like my Yu-Gi-Oh career deck. No one else was playing at the time. <laughs> nice. That, and then we went uh, to the first ever nationals for that. I got top thirty-two at that. Nice. You're just a uh, natural when it comes to card games. Are are you this? Are you? Are are someone once told me that. You are. I'm trying to think of of the person. Do you do you remember Abe Thalos? Yes. Okay. Abe said. I remember this is a long time ago, and it just came to me. So Abe Thalos, for those of you who don't know, is, uh, Patrick Hoban's old roommate from college, I believe, and he eventually got into Yu-Gi-Oh. But 
he also played Infernoid. And he said that you are the luckiest person he, he knows. <laughs> I think that's a... I definitely have a lot of luck on my side. But okay. I also think it gets uh, overcredited, I think, in certain okay. gotcha. But I definitely do have a lot of luck. Well, there you go. I mean, if anyone out there, you know, for, from our audience, our, our, our four subscribers out there, if you are ever entering into, you know, a lottery of some sort, just give Eric a call, you know, tell him to pick some numbers out of a hat. He'll probably win you a million dollars. So I, I remember there was a pro play games on their like Miami Yu-Gi-Oh page or whatever. They were doing one month a raffle. Anytime you entered the locals, you would get entered into the raffle like once. So my friends, you know, went to locals like every, this is like, I think a year and a half ago, went to locals every twice a week or whatever, had like eight entries. There was like 90 people in it and I had gone one week and I got the, I won the raffle. <laughs> oh, my <God. laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Next section of the podcast. Um, let's talk about the meta currently. So you recently got back to the game. Uh, you said around Shadal when Shadal's came back the second time with the new structure deck with Wendy and Apgalon and all those new cards. What do you think of the current format? Obviously probably not playing as competitively as you were back when you, you know, got second at worlds, but do you like have a stance on the format right now? Do you like one deck over the other? What do you think of the format? Uh, yeah, I actually, I don't really base like what decks I like based off like the meta. It's just kind of, you know, what I think is good. Right. And even before, you know, kind of popped up when they first started doing like the online tournaments and stuff, I really liked the Ad Emancipator deck. I thought it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't playing the whole GoGoGo engine. My friend had told me about it. <coughs> he said, you should play GoGoGo in your, your deck. And I remember reading through all of them. I was like, I don't know which ones he meant, so I'm just not going <laughs> to... I, I had no desire to, to read these cards. Like, I know that Cody Angeloff was playing it. I read them all. Yeah. I read them all, and I was just like, am I missing something? These all seem like they suck, so I didn't, yeah. I didn't get it. Yeah. And uh, I was playing like the... I still, I, I mean, I still play like a little bit. I've kind of taken this part out, but I was playing the Hexial Fusion to make like Exterio, like Nature Exterio. Someone was doing that in our in our tournament group, Yeah. That's a thing that you could do. It's cool. I'd probably get in a beard, but yeah, it's cool. <laughs> There's that's why I was playing. Like I just I like the deck because it's it has protection just yeah. built into its combos automatically from like yeah, the uh, Maru guys. That's right. why I like it. Yeah. So I was playing that. I've been playing Mermail. Um, okay. I think Mermail is actually we we played a uh, uh, like a rogue format tournament. My locals like yeah, we did that last week. And uh, they originally made a list of all the stuff to be banned, and I didn't see Burmos on there. And I literally had to like tell them that, uh, trust me, because you can, yeah. you know, if you open uh, Teus and Dragoons, you can That's literally crazy. rip four cards from the opponent, and you can't get in a beer. You literally just mentioned two cards uh, two episodes ago. We were talking on the podcast about two cards that I think should be banned. Or was it last episode? And I said Block Dragon and Moon Glacia. I think those are cards getting banned. Because Block Dragon just recur like too much recursion, too much free advantage. And I think Moon Glacia is too convenient. Like it's too like, alright, you have five cards in your five waters, and then you just rip two free cards. Some people disagree with me on that, but I don't know. We've seen Elemental Wards get banned before. I think Grand Soul got banned. Like th- these cards are just like too good. So we'll see where it goes. I don't agree with Moon Glacia. I think that one's fine, honestly. But I do agree with Block, right? Okay. <laughs> I do think it's uh, any card that searches three cards 
Mm-hmm. Just, you know, shouldn't exist. Do you think that water it just kind of popped up as it is? You know, right. just the deck that came out. So yeah, that's true. Do you think water will get hit at all? No, I think they're supporting no, they're... it with the new deep sea stuff. Deep sea. I don't okay. think it'll be hit at all. Gotcha. I, I, I don't think anything is currently limited for them, right? I think they're currently a full power. Yeah, everything except for title. So it's they literally have everything, and it's still not considered in the top three. So I do not think it'll be limited enough. Gotcha. Oh, that's a fair take. I, I guess I I love Mermel. I have the deck max rarity like right in front of me. I don't really. I haven't gotten the new deep sea cards yet, but I I don't love the whole concept of just ripping cards. I feel like that's not like the what the premise of the deck was supposed to be. But like it's just in, what they've given the tools that they have. I know right. basically. Like the way I've I've created my version or whatever is, you can pretty much rip you know four cards, and if you have certain other extenders and stuff, you can end on like the the Ad Emancipator Water Guy and yeah different stuff. But once the new set comes out, they get a really really cool card that uh, Crocodile Synchro card, mm-hmm. the level nine yeah yeah, and then on top of ripping four cards, you now have a like a reactive draw like kind of like dried it card and it, and it draws yeah and that's pretty good it's part of the combo like in in like when one of the cards you're ripping with is the desert locust the level six synchro and since it's a tuner you can just use it to synchro into him immediately all you need is a level three card which you will inherently have because from the original combo you summon uh, Megalo, which can search the sphere to get your level uh, three out from the deck. I'm gonna put that into my deck right now. That's awesome. Um, I am getting coached on the podcast. This is live. You know, this is on the spot. We didn't pre-do this. I am getting coached right now. Um, so, all right. So now that I know what to do with my Mermel deck, what do you think of the Eldlick deck? Because it started off as a very uh, reactive trap deck, kind of similar to like Fire Fists, where you know they would have a little bit of a push and they would set some traps and they kind of go back and forth. Now they have like this whole Halka Fibrax combo where they normal summon Jet Synchron and that ends on Savage Arclight and then you know plus four cards in hand. What do you think about that deck? I think it definitely when it first came out and people were you know playing that against like the the rock deck and stuff it was to me it was pretty lackluster it was just you know like a a back row deck that kind of didn't really do anything right now while that's a good combo I think it also kind of like semi goes against like the the kind of deck strategy that it is you know that it's mm-hmm. like a back row deck that you it's not really going to get hit by some of the the cards that are in the meta, like the Nibiru or uh, uh, Dark Ruler, stuff like that. But right. when you incorporate all that stuff, you're able to be hit by that. Which, while right. it increases your like what you can do, it also increases what you can get hit by. So right. I honestly haven't played enough to really know if it's you know really really good that way or anything. But no, that's a very good take about it. I mean, I, I personally, I've been stressed over the meta for a little bit just because I feel like it's so hard to win right now. Just because it's hard to be dominant right now because. I feel like the old style of deck building where it's like you have to have certain ratios, this and that. And then, you know, right now, like everyone, like there's no variance. Everyone's just playing three dark ruler in their main deck, which is a good meta call. But like, I feel like if, if they, if they draw that card, then they, and they have their combo, then they win. You know, if they don't have those things then they lose, it's kind of like hit or miss. There's no interaction really. Yu-Gi-Oh's kind of always been like that, though, just in different forms. Like, before it was Maxi. Right. If you're playing BA and you get Maxi, you know, it's, it kind of feels like a death sentence at that point, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, 
I think it just evolved, you know, the, the cards. It's kind of the same premise. It's a little bit different just, you know, now, like Maxi before you have the option, you know, to continue or not. Like now, if you can't respond to Dark Ruler. You know, right. It's like, <laughs> it's like, can't respond. And the only restriction on that card is like, they don't take damage, but it doesn't matter because the game's over anyway. Yeah, if you break their board, it's what, what, what do you think about like, all these cards like lightning storm and evenly and uh dark ruler and super poly like would you just play would you if you're building a deck right now would you just play three of all of these cards or would you play like two ash like one bell like would you play a mixture of different cards no i think you like if you try and squeeze everything in by playing like one or two copies of it it just kind of mm-hmm. gets like too clunky i think you it really i'm a fan of you know it it's not always correct to do it, but if you can, if your side deck is only five cards and it's three of each, you're mm. on the right track, I feel like. You definitely have to be careful with oversiding, though, and, like, what matchups and what covers what. Yeah, definitely. It's it's just more so, like, if you can figure out what cards are going to hit, you know, a majority of your matchups over. It might not hit all, but if you can, you know, figure out what's in your area popular or what you've been running into over and over again. Sometimes you do it, you just make a incorrect call. You can't really fix that. If you think you're going to play against something and then you don't play against any of them, it's not, you can't, it's not yeah. your fault. Not your fault. Um, so do you, after this whole quarantine thing is over, do you consider yourself a Yu-Gi-Oh player? Are you going to continue playing the game? Do you have any in- aspirations to getting, finally getting that UDS belt that you also are missing from your trophy case? Uh, I mean, I have been, I played in the regional, I started playing basically back as soon as this should all structure deck came out. Uh, I played in the regional and just got obliterated in that. Um, but I won a couple of the, just the online like locals that we've been doing. I won uh, a locals at my actual store before and quarantine and everything. So I was happy with that. <laughs> there you go. Um, but I think, I, I don't know if I'm traveling yet, like to okay. YCSs and stuff, but I'm <laughs> yeah. definitely like playing into it more. I'm, I was playing Dragon Ball Super for a while, and I've kind of like put that to the side and been picking Yu-Gi-Oh back up. Yeah, well, hey, we have our own tournaments, and they're called Money Lounge tournaments. They're on Wednesday and Sunday, every uh, bi-weekly at 9 p.m. It's like $10 entry. have great prizes. For those of you who at home who want to enter, maybe play Eric in a money tournament, feel free to sign up. Um, so let's move, let's move on. So now... Before we started the podcast, I was chatting with with Eric, and we usually do a segment on the show called Traveling the Road of the King, and we go over a segment of Patrick Hoban's book. Now, we're talking to someone who was on the same team as Patrick Hoban, and was also, uh, you worked with Patrick Hoban, like, at a real job. So, instead of, like, going into a formal discussion about something in his book, why don't we just talk about your interactions with Patrick? So you worked with him and you're on the same team as him. Did you learn from anything from him? Also, uh, tell me about your stories with uh, imaginary Yu-Gi-Oh. Even when I was on a team with all these like big name people, I personally didn't really like interact with a lot of them. I wasn't like big participating in like, the group chat and stuff. Because 90% of the time, whenever I would say anything to them or to any of like my friends in general, they all think, no, that's garbage. Like any of the, the cards. He's like, only a national champion. Uh, even, it didn't matter. It, they yeah. all, it didn't, didn't matter. So I just kind of <laughs> stuck to my own stuff. I always came up with my own ideas. Because people would play them, have no idea how it works, and they'd be like, this sucks. And I'm like, all yeah. right, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. So, um I never really like talked about like current Yu-Gi-Oh with any like pros or anything like that. Really, it's just kind of gotcha. like my like two or three friends that I actually played with the locals right. and stuff. 
Right. Um, but we back, I can't remember exactly when it came out, but Imaginary Yu-Gi-Oh! originally started. You play like with, you know, you pick up 40 commons out of your sneak preview stuff. And when you draw the, the cards, whatever type of card it is, that's what it has to be like Monster Star Trap. Mm-hmm. Um, but we figured out a way uh, to actually improve upon that and move it into Imaginary Yu-Gi-Oh! in your head. Okay. So we came up with like a set of rules to play. So there are no real cards in Imaginary Yu-Gi-Oh! Okay. Yeah, it's definitely you can't be so playing this game. So for those of you at home who you know are, or either you're listening on the on Spotify or if you're watching on YouTube, just imagine like pe- like bubbles of air, and those are Yu-Gi-Oh cards, and th- you play with them. Okay, so explain explain the the rules of imaginary Yu-Gi-Oh for those of, at home who want to play. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I really, you know, I personally, I think I am, you know, the best imaginary Yu-Gi-Oh player. You're the best. You draw reasoning all the time. <laughs> no, you can't use it. So okay. <laughs> the rules for it are: you can only use cards that are currently at three on the the limited list. Uh, so nothing banned at one or two. Um, then every zone is considered blank essentially until it's you declare what the card is. So what that means is you can't search from your deck because your deck is blank. You have no legal target. You can't uh, banish, you know, light and dark to summon BLS. Uh, if your opponent mind crushes you, you don't have a card, so that wouldn't work. Um, there also is no extra deck, which is, okay. I think, the biggest. That's really one of the biggest things for it. A lot of people like can't really wrap their head around that part. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So additionally, if a card is sent to a zone and it gets its effect as soon as it hits that zone, like if you banish Necroface or discard a Dark World, you get those effects. Okay. Um, but if they happen later on, like you have a breakthrough skill and you tr- you can't banish it because it returns to being a blank card. Okay. Um, but a lot of the times when I, I tell this to people, and that's pretty much the rules. There isn't really anything crazy yeah. about that. And you just made this up yourself? No, this was, uh, I think that's pretty much what the original rules of like the okay. actual card. I think okay. uh, Hoban, Hoban was actually the one who came up with all of it for okay. like the imaginary portion. Okay. And I added on like the rule about like discarding a dark world and stuff, okay. you know, keeping it all blank. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I explain it to people, there's some people it clicks for, I can see in their mind it, and some people mm-hmm. it doesn't. And that doesn't mean that they don't get the rules. It's how they play the game. And I use that at least for my own personal thing to see if you're a good player or not. As right. weird as okay. that sounds. So if you are sitting down and I explain it to you like, all right, I'll play. And you right off the bat are going like back, you know, when I played Denko, it just like come out. It was kind of like, you know, semi-relevant or whatever. They're doing Denko or Lightning Storm or uh, just any of like the these new cards, which are really good in competitive Yu-Gi-Oh, but aren't in that format. Okay. Like it, it really pushes your boundaries and, you know, like lets you think of, of every card. Like the more you know, the, the better you're going to be in that game. And at least for me, even playing it, you think of cards that, you know, you don't normally think of in those scenarios. And there have been multiple times where I've come up with cards and like, all right, that would actually be really good. And like, my, my follow-up question was going to be, does it help you with real Yu-Gi-Oh! And it already seems like it does. Yeah, it's, it's one, I think it's really fun. No one really yeah. likes playing me because I win every time. But it's, it's... So you, what's, what's your head-to-head with Patrick Hoban in Imaginary Yu-Gi-Oh! games? 
uh, I'm up. I think I don't know the exact thing. I think it's like thirteen to eight, if I'm not mistaken. We played a lot. Okay, but it was it was uh, we played a little bit differently than what I play with other people. We do take backs and you know take forty five minutes to think of a turn because we were working at the same time. But it's it's fun. That's awesome. Um, Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Like when you have someone who knows what's going on, it's uh, a very fun game. Definitely two great minds in the game. So, um, yeah, you, you said that you're not going to read this book until Patrick Hoban starts beating you, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just a bunch I of read my own book. This is how I read Patrick Hoban should read your book. <laughs> um, so this is just 400. How many pages is this book? Hold on. This book is 469 pages. Of uh, moot points, they don't matter because Patrick Hoban has a thirteen to eight deficit on Eric Christensen in Imaginary Yu-Gi-Oh. You hit the nail on the head. <laughs> so uh, I just think I, mean, I think Yu-Gi-Oh as a game really shouldn't be taken as seriously as some people put into it. I understand and I respect, you know, right? You know, like I, the I think people that... put the math and probability and stuff in it. Like Johnny Lee, I oh, like he's he's my boss. I work for him. Yeah. <laughs> I read all his posts, everything. I appreciate how much time and effort and stuff he puts into it. Okay, to me, on. that's not how yeah. a game should be played. Right. So, like, ha- if you've ever read the, the Declaration of Independence, right? Like, that was considered a big deal back in 1776. That's an average Johnny Lee post. <laughs> like, his, his posts are, like, three pages long and it's about like what what he had for breakfast <laughs> I can, yeah i consider it like my like reading the new york times basically at that point it's, like, it's actually he's a really good writer though he's probably better than the new york times i i love i i really don't talk to him that much i've only talked with him a few times we went out to like dinner after an event one time yeah uh i don't really have like a big we haven't really talked really anything but i i love reading all this stuff yeah <laughs> so. um it's like a subreddit. He has his own subreddit, definitely, and like all the people that respond to him are himself. But like, no, Johnny Lee, I have to say, he's one of the smartest people I know. Um, definitely one of the premier players in the game, and I think that you know he's a very good influence. But yeah, I I, I like that you have a simplistic approach because. Like, me and my friends, we always try to come up with a magic formula for a deck or something like that. And it seems like while you do use logic and you use, you know, um, skill and everything to create your... You you try to think, what all right, what is my opponent trying to do and I have to do something different. But it seems like you took a very simplistic approach. Like, all right, I have to have, you know, like a Swiss Army knife, like Decatron's very good. Omega is a good extra deck card. Uh, Mischief of the Gnomes will help me beat the best deck. That's probably the, my one weakness. Like, is that pretty much how you think going into a tournament? Sort of. It's. I do think for a fact, without a doubt in my mind, there is no formula. There is. Okay. <laughs> there's. I don't care how much you know probability you put into it, how much you know optimization you put into your deck. It's at the end of the day, there's no possible way. Mm-hmm. That it, you, it's not a game that you can plug the numbers into to get a perfect score. Right. So, I think that's where people kind of get lost in that. They, they do. I think there's a lot of stuff you can do to make sure that you have all the stuff going for you, like you know, practicing your deck, making sure you don't misplay. Uh, you know, mind games with your opponent, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But you can't. The, <laughs> if I'm playing, you know, 41 cards and you're playing 40, 
that is not the deciding factor of you know right. going to win the tournament. There's okay. so that's how I see it at least. Like it's, uh, I think that definitely comes down to it. I played you know forty, forty two, forty three cards in my deck, and I don't feel bad about it. Patrick Coleman would be pissed. <laughs> He'd be like, you should you should ask him to sign your your copy of of, of Upstart Goblin. I remember when Upstart was was popular. Well, it's yeah. still popular, but um, when it was at three and stuff, people yeah. would be playing three of it. And I remember one of the first times I ever saw it. Yeah, I uh, asked like my, one of my friends about it, and they're like, "Oh, like why do they play this card or whatever?" It's like, "Oh, uh, it's for the side deck." That's yeah. all he said, and yeah. I was like, "Oh, okay, seems kind of weird, but okay." Yeah. And so I started playing it. And every game, I would side out Upstart and put it in my side deck cards. Oh, I thought it was like no. a slot to put. No. I it was a slot to put your side deck cards. I was oh, like, that's so weird. And they're like, no, it's a draw. It's them. Like, yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I listen. I, one thing I will take from you know for Patrick Holbin, we'll talk about format evaluation. Uh, page three sixty for those at home. Um, Let's talk about your, your Nationals when you're playing pure Monarchs, is that correct? With no extra deck. Correct, yeah. And you were playing Domain. Mm-hmm. Do you think that... Because originally the format started off as like a two-deck format. People said it was pretty much BA and Monarch. Uh, yeah, different variants of Monarch. Yeah, the uh, different variants of each, honestly. And the, right. But it was those, those two core. Like that. Right. So do you think that People originally when the format started, it was obviously always like BA, and then people started playing the PK BA with the Phantom Knights and Fogblade. Do you think that it was so like at first it was like pure monarchs with no extra deck? They were trying to counter the BA deck, but then Patrick Coben he had that idea with Overdrive Teleporter. People started playing Brilliant Fusion and the extra deck monarch build, and then people were so on that deck that then like the original version became good again. Like, do you think that's what kind of happened? Like, what was the dynamics of that format? Um, I think uh, from what everything I saw and from people I talked to, basically how I saw it from my perspective was people didn't really want to play the, uh, I guess the mon- just the pure domain monarch deck because it seemed kind of simplistic, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the good players in my area all played BA all, mm-hmm. almost exclusively, almost all of them. Right. So, I used that as my basis when I was playing. One, I refused to play BA, so I was going to play that. <laughs> Two, play um, no, I have played a BA deck, but I, not, not during its dominant time. Okay. Um, I used that kind of my basis thinking, all right, well, you know, these are really good players. I'm assuming that a lot of the good players from around the country would probably think the same way. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them should be playing BA, which, you know, obviously Domain Monarch, you know, destroys that. So... Right. I know when the extra deck monarch deck came out as well, like when people were playing that, I remember seeing it and I was like, that literally goes against the whole purpose. It was sort of like, like them, uh, the Eldritch deck with all the, you know, the combo stuff. It literally goes against the purpose of what your deck is trying to do, which is lock people out of the extra deck. Right. Why are you doing it? Right. So whenever I'd see those decks, I didn't care what variant it was. If it had a brilliant future or anything, I was like, all right, I got a free win. Cause I felt they were <laughs> super, it was, by playing that deck, you were already, I knew, a, a, a worse player in my eyes by playing oh, wow. that. It's fun. like, to me, if you chose to play that deck at Nationals, that was incorrect. Mm-hmm. And when I sat down and played, I played two of them at Nationals. I technically played four, 
But mm-hmm. in Swiss, I play two true like extra deck monarch decks. They're playing Brilliant Fusion, all that, and I just two of both of them. I had no wow. trouble. It yeah. was just you know, it, I was also playing Twin Twister, which surprisingly a lot of people weren't for some reason the main wow. deck. Yeah, uh, which helped me win a bunch of game one. Even like negates Brilliant Fusion, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So I I just remember beating them like and I was didn't bring a sweat over it. And then in top sixty four we personally thought that any extra deck monarch deck regardless of what variant it was sucked mm-hmm. in top 64 i played against ba monarch mm-hmm. just, i just didn't get it i didn't mm-hmm. understand why you're why play monarchs they're not mm-hmm. like, right. gonna get you anywhere just, you play just want a draw engine yeah. yeah so they played that and there were only two ba monarchs in top 64 and i played one in top 64 i won Mm-hmm. Like the other one in top 32 and all my friends were like no fucking way this guy's so lucky he got yeah, two free buys yeah literally i i that top 32 one was uh, i played what's the guy's name zach stone okay who i i had no he was a, he top aided uh dallas with me so i knew him already mm-hmm. and he had misplayed i misplayed i didn't like that game at all how i played i, I definitely misplayed like one or two times of that so that was not a good game it's on stream so i was able to go back and watch it and see like oh he messed up here da, da, da. but regardless my deck was such a good matchup against that i didn't care um so then from there i didn't play in swiss i actually didn't play any domain monarchs it was only in top cut which was you know where i thought they were going to be so i was I think that kind of just led me to believe that I was right, that it was, you know, uh, the best choice out of the, the three versions, I guess you can say, extra deck, that, and VA. Yeah. And uh, it paid off. I was just, I was very happy. I played a, a ton of BAs and I beat, I think I beat all of them. I can't remember. I know I lost to a Cosmo guy, a Pendulum, and one other one. I went X3. I don't remember what the other loss was. It could have been a BA. Um, it, it seems like your strategy worked. Uh, you played a good deck, you made a good meta call. So, uh, do you think that you have a good, obviously you don't believe in a formula, but do you think you have good judgment when it comes to what decks are good and like what people are doing wrong and things like that? And you, you kind of adapt pretty well. I do think that's just something you, you don't just, I, I don't believe you just innately have, but I do think it takes time to build up like and to learn. Right, just through trial and error, what is good and what's not, and even if you you know don't haven't played a specific card or a specific deck, just off your past experiences, you can know by reading the cards what's going to be like the cards you want to see often, what you want to you know cut from you know maybe three to only two or one copies of, mm-hmm. just so you're not constantly seeing them and stuff like that. It's gotcha. definitely trial and error, and it's not perfect either. Again, you can be wrong even. Yeah, after playing ten years. So. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right, so to to conclude uh, the show, what advice would you give to the newer player? I personally have been doing this new series called "Get Your Game On," and I just like a one, two, three series where I talk about like tangible steps they could do to get better. So, what are your tangible steps that a new player say they're playing their their new Salmon Great deck? Like, how are they going to go to a YCS and get first place? Uh, I think the first thing that I you know, I just learned back from like the originally from the ARG 25k to Dallas was just trust yourself before you trust anyone else. Mm-hmm. While people, you know, if you personally believe that something is going to be good and, and strong, even if everyone else, literally everyone mm-hmm. else <laughs> yeah. thinks it's going to be bad, mm-hmm. trust yourself first. It's, yeah. it's up to you to, you know, find what works and whatnot. And if 
if you think it's truly absolutely the best and you just get absolutely obliterated and see what led you to believe that and then try and fix it from there. So I think that's the main thing. You say that if you have an idea, go to locals and then the worst case scenario, you, you fail and you learn that it's bad rather than someone telling you it's bad. Yeah, it's don't. It, it's fine if people think that. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's you know I I played Dark World for nine months, so everyone yeah. tells me why are you playing this? And it's like oh, it's because what I have, and I think it's you know it's, I I didn't think it was a bad deck either by by any means. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a good deck that you know I would be able to win eventually, and I was I eventually got to the point where I was winning topping and winning locals. Graph is a good card, and Eradicator is a good card. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just. I think you trust your your own opinion first is the best advice I can give. Definitely, it's definitely good to to you know get input from other people, but that's the main thing. I, I would agree, uh, Eric. We got to have you on again, man. This is really smooth. Um, uh, thank you for taking the time. Um, you know, uh, you know, I wish you the best with you know Yu Gi Oh if you continue to play, but just life in general. Hopefully, we'll we'll catch up some more. You you uh, be nice enough to co-host a second episode. What do you say? Yeah, for sure. No, right. Cool. Sounds good. Well, uh, we'll get this to Darnell, our, our producer. He'll put it out, and we'll see what the people think. So until then, I'll uh, see you around, man. The Shadow Realm Podcast, brought to you by Bamani Lounge.